Thanks for listening to the podcast from Old Town Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Old Town Church is passionate about making disciples for the glory of God in Old Town and around the world by inviting people to know the gospel, experience biblical community, and live on mission. If you're in the Rock Hill area, we invite you to join us for worship every Sunday. If you're not in our area, we encourage you to find a gospel-believing church near you. We hope this podcast is a blessing to you as we seek to follow Jesus and the grace of his gospel. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Old Town Church. My name is Katie Motzinger, and our scripture this morning comes from 1 Timothy 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Jesus Christ our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may change certain persons not to teach different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make competent assertions. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. My name is Matthew. I'm one of the pastors here at Old Town Church, and uh, so glad that you are here this morning, and so glad that uh, next week we can finally settle the debate that Andy Lewis and I have been having for what feels like centuries, but it's really just been weeks. What brand of gummy bear is the best gummy bear? And so I am passionate about this. I've visited gummy bear factories before, so this is a big deal to me. Um, uh, but I'm not going to tip my hand, and I don't. This is a blind taste test. And I have no results, uh, no control over the results. So needed to get that out of the way first. But uh, hey, I just want to say we can have fun together, right? Like being being a faith family is also something like we're gonna today we're gonna dig into some hard things. What we just read is not like we, you know, but like as a church, like this is we get to enjoy one another. We're a family, all right. And families have debates over gummy bears. So um, listen, I've, I've got a question for you. Have you ever believed something? that someone's told you and then you realize later on it wasn't true. Like you, you really, you trusted this person, they told you something and then later on you're like, I, I actually think that might have been a lie that I was told. This happened to me at a young age or it started at a young age. Uh, my older brother told me one time that when you pour a, a Coke into a cup and it, the fizz at the top, if you drink the fizz really quick, it makes you stronger. 
And so this was like a way you could develop more muscle. And so he was my older brother. And so he must be right. And so I used to like drink it, like drink it as fast as I could. And you know, like if you drink that, like your eyes start watering, it burns. Like it's not a pleasant experience, but it was worth the pain to get the, the muscles uh, until, you know, like you go to school and you're like, hey, yeah, did you realize if you do that, you get more muscles? And the other kids are like, no, you don't. And you're like, I've been lied to, right? Like this happens at times. And, but sometimes you believe a lie that has more serious consequences. I mean, I think I have an odd fascination with uh, different cults that have formed over the years. And I've watched a, a number of documentaries and, and read some stuff on these. And, you know, you think about uh, cults uh, like Heaven's Gate or Branch Davidian that have some realm of like this shred of truth, but in, in the mix of it is all of these other things that aren't true. And so you, these leaders sort of rise up who are a, a God figure. Like I'm the second, you know, David Koresh was like, like the second coming of Jesus. And, and so they get these people to believe things and as they get entrenched in that, they, they believe more and more in this leader, and they end up doing things that are awful to themselves, awful to others. I mean, it's, it's crazy uh, what we could do uh, when we believe lies like that. I had, in college one time, uh, my neighbor thought he was Jesus. Uh, like, literally, I think he was on a lot of substances most of the time, but he legitimately thought he was Jesus. And we were like, bro, no, it's just not, no, you're not. Um, but, I mean, this is a guy who I don't think anybody really followed him. He wasn't asking for that. But, um, but you know, just people believe crazy things. And I think it just goes to show us how important it is that we are cautious with how we develop what we believe. We need to be cautious with how we're developing what we believe. And like Trevor said, we're beginning a series today in the book of 1 Timothy. We're going to spend the next three months just walking through this letter that Paul wrote uh, to Timothy as Timothy pastors this church in a city called Ephesus. It's a letter instructing Timothy on how uh, the church should behave as the household of God and how Timothy as a pastor should help protect that church from false teachers and false doctrine. And, and so I think we have a lot to learn. We're a young faith family. We are three and a half years in. Uh, we're in many ways at the beginning of our journey as a church, but as we grow and mature as a family of faith, it's necessary that we pay close attention to and also guard the message of the gospel and keep it as the center of what we do and who we are as a church. It's going to be easy to get distracted by a lot of other things and to take our focus off of what is central to who we are. And so, listen, I'm not saying we're going to turn into a cult here anytime soon or that we have a special Kool-Aid for you to drink on the way out. That's not what this is. But uh, I will say that people get so far into moments like that, uh, not because they jumped from one place to the other, but step by step, little by little, belief by belief, they find themselves somewhere they never thought they would be. And so uh, my message to us and my encouragement to myself and all of us today is that we not be passive about our doctrine. And so here's our big idea for today. How we develop and protect sound doctrine is essential for the health of the local church. How we develop and protect sound doctrine is essential for the health of the local church. All right, now the truth is that some of you have already tuned me out because I've used the word doctrine multiple times and you're like, oh, cool, this is going to be swell. I can't wait for the next few months, right? Like, we're just going to talk about doctrine and these heavy things and, and what we believe. But uh, the reality is, is that doctrine is essential to your everyday life. It, you are operating currently on a certain set of beliefs, 
All right, and so that word doctrine there, really, it just, that word just means teaching. It's a teaching. Doctrine is, is, a, is a teaching. It's what's taught, what's believed. And so as we think about just defining that word doctrine, just to give us kind of a working definition here this morning, your doctrine is a set of foundational beliefs that describe truth about God. When we're talking about doctrine here, when the scripture is talking about doctrine, it's talking about this set of foundational beliefs that describe truth about God. Your doctrine is your set of beliefs about God. What you believe about God shapes so much about how you live. And so as a church, as you as an individual and us as a church, we cannot be passive about what it is that we, will, we believe. We can't be passive about where we're getting that from. It's essential for us individually. It's essential for us as a faith family. So how we develop and protect sound doctrine is essential for the health of the local church. And that's what Timothy is going to address here in this first part, uh, or what Paul is going to address in this first part of 1 Timothy as Timothy pastors this church in Ephesus. And so let me just pray for us as we uh, encounter God's word this morning. Father, we stop right now, and I, I pause right now, just incredibly humbled and terrified to be someone who, who tries to represent your message to these people. And so, Father, I ask for your grace as I communicate, but, Father, more than anything, we come to you collectively together and say, would you teach us from your word? By the power of your spirit, would you help us to understand the scripture? And would you expose to us when we are believing things that aren't in line with your word? And so, God, help us today. Let us be encouraged as we uh, consider our own sources that we go to for truth. And, Lord, help us to turn only to you. It's in your great and mighty name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, 1 Timothy 1, verses 1 through 11. And our first point is going to be this. God cares for the doctrine and health of his church. And in verses 1 and 2, this is just a greeting that Paul offers. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a couple of things I just want us to pay attention to. I often, I don't know about you, when I read these books in the Bible, I'm like, yeah, grace, mercy, peace, all that. Let's just, you know, let's get on to the, the heart of the letter here. But there's, there's a phrase that stood out to me in this, but I first want to ask, and I think we need to address who's Paul and who's Timothy, all right? Who are these characters that we're going to be following over these next couple of months? And as we read this letter, who are these guys? And so uh, we could start with Timothy. Timothy uh, was this guy uh, that was, a, as Paul calls him, a spiritual child, right? Uh, he didn't mean that negatively. He's like, you're my spiritual son. And, and Timothy had, uh, his mother's name was Eunice. You can find out a lot about Timothy in Acts 16 and 2 Timothy in different books uh, that Paul was a part of. But Eunice was his mother. She was a Jewish woman who had been uh, saved. She was a believer in Jesus Christ. Timothy's father was a Greek. We don't really know much about him. Timothy's grandmother, Lois, uh, is described as having a very sincere faith. And so, so first of all, though we don't know much about Timothy's dad, what we see is how instrumental these, these godly women were in Timothy's life. For his upbringing, for his growth in the Lord, his mother and his grandmother were instrumental to his faith. And I just, like as a quick pastoral aside, I'm not saying this text is teaching this, this is just an encouragement to some of you for the single moms in the room for the, the spiritually single moms or, or dads, for those of you with a spiritually uh, passive spouse, you might feel like your children are missing something because you know what they don't have that you wish 
they had, but the Lord knows exactly what your children need. You can trust him with them, even if you feel like it might, they might be missing out on something. And I think we see in Timothy's life, these, these, these godly women were a crucial part of shaping who he was. Timothy was also well spoken of by brothers and sisters in other cities like Lystra and Iconium. We see that in Acts chapter 16. And we know that Timothy was very close with Paul. He followed closely with Paul. Paul raised him up. Paul discipled him. And Paul used him for the sake of the gospel in many other churches. Now, Paul uh, is the author of the letter. And there's a lot we could say about Paul. I won't say all of it today. But just very quickly, what Paul says in this verse is he is an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, that, that word apostle carries a lot of significance. Apostles were empowered and appointed by Jesus to carry the message of the gospel as missionaries to the world after the death and resurrection of Jesus. They, they were, these, they were the, like the beginning of the movement of the local church. Jesus appointed them, sent them out to spread the message of the gospel and, and plant churches. The apostles were responsible for this. And as they established these churches, part of their, their role was to the care and the health of those churches. And that's what Paul did. Paul would go into these cities. He'd, he'd share the gospel with people. People would be saved. He would nurture those relationships, nurture their understanding of the gospel. They would establish a church. He would point uh, pastors for those churches. And then Paul would move on to the next city and do the same thing over again. And so these churches were popping up in Lystra and Derby and Philippi and here in Ephesus. And that's the work Paul did here. He, in, what he then did was sometimes he'd go back and visit. Most of his letters, he's like, I really wanna come visit you, but I'm in jail or whatever else. But Paul writes these letters back to the churches to encourage them and address specific issues. And, and this particular letter to the church in Ephesus, this letter to Timothy, who's the pastor there, He's addressing, there's false teaching going on in this church. There is, there is a false doctrine being spread that needs to be uh, taken care of. And so uh, the, the phrase that really stood out to me in this is, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior. I just want us to hear that all of this, all that I just described that Paul was doing, the, the beginning of those churches, the care of the churches, the, the keeping up of the, church, the churches. This was not Paul's idea. This was God's idea. This was his command. God was establishing and sending those people, using men like Paul to help these local churches grow in the knowledge of the gospel and their health as a faith family. Church, God cares about the doctrine and the health of his church. Now, I know sometimes we might say, my church is Old Town Church. And, and that's not wrong necessarily to say it that way, but ultimately, Old Town Church is God's church. We are his faith family. This is not my church as one of the pastors here, ever. It's not mine, it is his. And God cares for the doctrine and the health of his church. And so I don't want us to miss that Paul was an apostle by the command of God. This was God's design, and he was using these men in that way. And it's ultimately, ultimately what's happening, God appointed Paul to that task. And so as we can root ourselves in that, we, we move past this introduction. We, we know and we see that God cares for the health of his church. Uh, what we can see in verses three through seven is that we must be cautious in who we allow to influence our doctrine. We must be cautious in who we allow to influence our doctrine. Listen, we, we live in a world where some of the most influential people on the planet 
are YouTubers and singers and athletes, all right? They are celebrities. Now, I'm not knocking these people. Some of, the, I mean, some of these kids are in their parents' basement, found a way to make millions of dollars posting funny videos on the internet. You gotta give it to them. I mean, it's actually really impressive. I, listen, I am a Swifty. I love me some Tay-Tay. I can, I can shake it off with the best of them, all right? And, and, and Selena Gomez, let's just give it to her. She's a singer, she's an actress, she has a makeup line, she cooks things and makes cookware. She has 430 million Instagram followers, third most in the world. She's a, she's a person of influence, whether we like it or not. Selena Gomez has influence over the way that many people think. But the problem is that we live in a culture where these people are the ones influencing the moral compass of younger generations and some older ones who are growing up with a device strapped to their hands. And this is not gonna be a whole sermon on how bad cell phones are, okay? My point is this, is that it's just the way of the world at this point. So there are generations being raised up to see these people who have lots of followers. And that's why we call them influencers because they have influence over people. We live in a culture where the idea that there is an absolute truth has been under attack for decades. And now we've decided as a society that you and I can each have our own truths, that there's a relative truth that's relative to me. Now, for all of you who are my age and a little bit older, who just rolled your eyes and was like, ugh, millennials, right? <laughs> Hold on for a second. Because is listening to the Joe Rogan podcast or watching Fox News all day really any better? It's still an influence. It's still an indoctrination into something. You see, we all, all of us, if you think you're being excluded right now, wake up for a moment. We are all being shaped by our culture. There is a message coming towards us. It's sneaking in. It's creeping into our minds. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Are we allowing culture to shape our view of the Bible, or are we allowing the Bible to shape our view of the culture? And this, this very, this, this should create an urgency in us. And I'm going to say a healthy fear, not like a, we got to be afraid and everyone panic and let's respond out of fear. Let that fear drive us to the fact that there is truth. This is why how we develop and protect sound doctrine is so important. This is why we must be cautious about who we allow to influence our doctrine. And so in this section, in, in verses 3 through 7, Paul's going to address this. He's going to talk about two different types of influencers here. Paul says this in verse 3, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, he's talking to Timothy, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, now, Paul has said that phrase twice. Certain persons. He didn't name them. Sometimes he'll drop names, all right? But there are certain people in the church of Ephesus that are doing this. Verse 6, certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered into vain discussion desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So Paul here in verse three says to Timothy, 
I urge you, as I have before, I want you to stay in Ephesus. All right, Paul has already told Timothy that with his mouth. Now he's reasserting it in a letter. That's how important this is. Paul's taking it very serious that Timothy handles this issue. I want you to remain and I want you to combat false teachers and false doctrine. Paul instructs Timothy to, to stay there and help protect the church from these certain people. And he uses the word uh, to charge them. Now that word charge is authoritative. That word charge is a, is a charge given from someone in an official capacity of authority. And so what Paul's doing is giving Timothy, you are in a position to charge these certain people to stop doing what they're doing. And so there's a structure to what Paul is instructing Timothy. Now, who are these certain persons? If I was reading the letter, if I'm the church in Ephesus and I hear this, I'm like, who are the certain people? Like, there is a good chance that some of these certain persons were elders in the church. Now, there might have been others, but there's a good chance that some of the people who were teaching a false doctrine were actually elders within that church. And we can get that uh, from a, a number of different things in this letter. But as the letter progresses in future chapters, Paul's going to make clear who is to teach with authority in the church, the qualifications of an elder, the proper way to bring a charge against an elder, and how to remove an elder for these things. And, and so there's a, there's a high likelihood at the beginning of the letter, he's saying there's certain persons and, and here's how the church should structure itself and here's how the church should handle these things. And so there's a likelihood these were leaders in the church who were teaching a different doctrine that was not correct. And in verse 4 it says uh, they don't need to do that nor devote themselves to myths and endless gene, gene, genealogies which promote speculations. They, these teachers were studying all these myths and these, these different things that were outside of the Bible, all of these ideas and concepts that were either from the world or different documentation elsewhere. And what they were doing is trying to help understand the Bible in light of all of these extra biblical documents. So they're looking at all these myths and trying to say, if you look at it this way, then you can speculate that this thing means this. And, and what was happening was it was creating these false ideas of what was actually to be taught from the scripture. This is uh, likely even, uh, it says this in verse 4, that they're promoting speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. This idea of stewardship is likely another pointing to the fact that some of these teachers were elders of the church because their stewardship is the protection of the doctrine of the church. And instead of stewarding that well, they were actually creating speculations for these people. And so instead of caring for that stewardship, they were leading them in a different direction. And so in verse five, Paul addresses the heart behind the leader who stewards their spiritual influence well. He says, the aim of our charge is love, a love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul addresses the heart behind the leader who is going properly teaching and leading the church. The aim of that charge is love. And that, that comes from, a, he says, a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. In that phrase right there, Paul describes a leader who is not out for selfish gain or selfishly motivated, but is concerned about the welfare of others. There's a purity to their heart. It's not about me. It's about how I can help everyone else. Now, I want to be clear, that type of heart is only produced by Jesus Christ himself. And it's a description of Jesus. So this is not like all right, the people in the church who have all these great, perfect qualities like this. No, 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 no. These are, are people who God is producing that work 
in them. This is a teacher that, that Paul is describing as completely dependent on Jesus to lead them as they lead others. And so that purity of heart, that sincere faith, that good conscience is all coming from the work that Christ is doing in them, that, that they are leading others and teaching others. And so what Paul does in verse 6 and 7 is contrast that person, the, the purely motivated teacher, with the one who's teaching for another reason. He says certain persons have swerved from those things. They swerved from that sincere faith, that pure heart, that good conscience. These false teachers have, have gone away from that. They're not dependent on Christ anymore in what they're doing. It says they desire to be teachers of the law. Now, as I mentioned earlier, these people are taking extra biblical things and adding them to the law of God. They're, they're taking things and fusing it with the teaching of the Bible. And Paul says here that they're doing it without understanding. I actually love this phrase because I, I actually can get it a little bit. Uh, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. And, and I love, I love uh, you know, I've been told by a number of um, men in my life that if you just act confident, people will follow you. Or if you just act confident, no one will question you, which is like terrible, okay, particularly for a pastor. And so uh, I've seen this in practice. I had an, an older pastor one time take me into a hospital, and he just started walking through doors because we were someone we are going to see, and they were in ICU. We didn't have badges. And he's like, you just keep walking. They won't stop you. Um, now, they've locked down hospitals a lot since then, but, uh, but he just walked through, he'd walk into an operating room. They probably won't care. You just, you just act like you know what you're doing, and you're good to go. And I experienced this on a more uh, normal level, maybe not normal, um, with one of our church members, Daniel Pretty. And um, when uh, at, at baseball games, uh, Daniel, <laughs> Daniel's like, hey, come with me. And I'm always like, oh, God, what are we going to, I'm going to get in so much trouble. Um, I never have. He's a great guy. But he, we just walk right into the, the box that has all the free popcorn and all the stuff. Like, he's like, you just walk in, just act like you're supposed to be there, and they'll just let you through. And, uh, and it's actually true. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's wrong. Is, that, is it kind of like taking movie to, uh, candy to a movie theater? I'm not sure. But, um, but there's this idea. This is what the teachers were doing. And Daniel is not a false teacher. I want to be clear. He's a great, a great man. But um, they, were, they were speaking confidently about things they didn't understand. How often have you believed someone? Be honest. Because they sounded confident in what they were saying. And they made a good enough of a shred of an argument that you're like, that must be right. This is the danger of this. This is why we have to be cautious in who we're believing. We'll actually see it later in chapter four that what these people were doing as they were adding this in was creating this, this concept, uh, these ideas, these weird ideas on life and food and sex and, and we're teaching these things that this, this way of life Christians should live, that they were just adding to God's laws when they were doing it. They were putting it on people. So it's kind of like the no taco, no sex religion. Like you just remove any kind of pleasure from yourself. All right. And, and so that's, that's not, uh, Paul is calling that out. Just because they're saying confidently certain things doesn't mean it's right. And so Old Town Church, listen, we must be cautious about who we give spiritual influence to. We can't be passive about who we allow to influence our doctrine. That applies personally that applies corporately to us. And so I have to say this, and I believe this, that also means you do not just follow us. And by us, I mean the pastors of this church blindly. Just because I get up and say something here doesn't mean you should just blindly believe it. I am always going to challenge you to go back to the Scripture. Always go back to the Scripture 
and check what we teach against it. This is why it's so important for you to be in God's word on your own, because how are you to know if we're teaching you something different? And so listen, don't just, this is the beauty, and I won't get into all that we're going to cover in the future chapters, but God, because he cares about the health and the doctrine of his church, has created structures in the scripture in how the local church should operate and who should lead her. And all along the way, and I'll just brief overview, as a pastor of this church, I do not have supreme authority. You might think I do. I don't know where you got that from. But I can't just be like, hey, everybody, this is what we're doing, and that's what we're doing. I can't teach something and say, a lot of people see it this way, but I see it this way. Everyone believe me. Like, there are checks and balances for me in that we have a plurality of pastors. There are multiple pastors. But beyond that, we have partners here at our church. We call membership partnership. And those partners get to even say who gets to be a pastor of our church. And so if we are leading the church in a violation of the scripture, we need to be called out on that. And that is a beautiful thing for the church. That's how the church can remain healthy for a long period of time. God has set it up that way and it's a good, good thing. And so as I'm telling you to be careful about who you give spiritual influence to, I don't want to create a big distrust for you in pastors of the churches or the church you grew up in. That's not what I'm trying to do. I am saying be cautious. Be cautious in that and always check it against the scripture. And then finally, Paul gets us here in verses 8 through 11. He comes back to the law. He says this, and, and this is where I think we can see sound doctrine helps sinful people encounter a living God. Sound doctrine helps sinful people encounter a loving God. Verses 8 through 11 say this, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners. Now, hold on. When we start reading lists in Scripture, I tune out sometimes. I don't know if you, like, I just start listing things, and you're like, I'm not even listing anymore. So let's focus on this list. I'm going to read it again. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm going to start back over. And let's pay attention to what he's saying here. He says this in verse 9, The law is not laid down for the just, but, and then he's going to make a list, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and, what, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Now, here's my question for you. Were you in that list? And you don't have to raise your hands. Were you included in that list? And, and I think my encouragement to us today is to see ourselves in that list. But it's really easy to go to murderers and be like, ah, this isn't for me. That list is like, that, those are the sins, those are the big ones that I haven't done. Um, and then Paul will always be like, liars. And you're like, oh, he got all of us, right? Like, you know, 
But it begins by saying the law is for who? It's not for the just because they're justified. They don't need the law. The law is for the unjust, for the sinners. Now, here's the reality about the law of God. And, and I, like, I was telling uh, Trevor this morning, like, when, you, when, you, when you're, any, any teachers in here, like, you prepare all of this stuff and you don't get to use most of it. I don't have time. You all would not want to sit here while I talk to you about what I learned about the law this week, right? Um, maybe for another sermon, more applicable. But, but there are different types of law in the Scripture and, and particularly as we're, as we're pertaining to this, we're thinking about God's moral law. That law is for, that law has not been done away with. It's still relevant to us today. The law is for the sinful. And so there, there are three things I want us to hear about God's law, okay? First, the law exposes, then it condemns, and then it guides. The law exposes, it condemns, and it guides. First, the law exposes to us which of our behaviors are sin. We're able to see that it's sin because the law says this. And then we look at ourselves and we're like, those don't line up. That's sin. Uh, Paul in, in Romans 7 says, I, I didn't know what it was to covet until I saw in the law that it said you shouldn't covet. And then I knew I was sinning. And so the law helps us. It, it says this is what's right. You look at your own actions and you say, oh man, the, the law has now exposed that I am sinful. It shows us God's standard. It helps us see our sin. The second thing is that the law also condemns. It condemns that sin in us. It issues the guilty verdict. There's no like, you can't get out of it. Like you, you see, like it says, don't do this. I did this. I'm guilty. All right? Like there's no wiggle room in there. All right? Sometimes we try and make the wiggle room. But the law condemns our sin. It calls it out of sin, and it condemns us in that sin. It says that we are guilty. And there is no leniency, but only condemnation for the sinner. There's no leniency for the sinner. Only condemnation for those who are in sin. And there is only justification for the innocent. There's no gray area here. If you have sinned, you are guilty, you are condemned. If you are perfect then you are innocent, you are justified. The law also guides. It exposes, it condemns, and it guides. It guides us towards Christ. Because in that moment where we're like, I violated the law. And as you hear me saying, there's no wiggle room, you are guilty, and you are condemned to pay the penalty for your sin, now you realize you're in trouble. Now you realize you need rescue, you need help. And so the law guides us to the rescuer. It points out our need for rescue. It points out our need for Jesus. It guides us to the one who did obey the law perfectly. It guides us to the perfect one who on the cross gave himself for us and said, I'm going to take your sin on myself and pay the penalty for it. And I'm going to take you and put you over here and let you stand as one who is righteous. We can stand because of Jesus Christ. We can stand as those justified, counted as righteous. And so the law guides us to our Savior. And then once we are saved, the law guides the saved into the character of God. It shows us who God is. It shows us what he wants. And he puts his spirit in us to then live in alignment with that law. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's scary, it's condemning, and then it's beautiful all 
at the same time, to live a life that can be covered because of what Jesus did and then live a life aligned with God's law because he has put his spirit in us. Church, I just want to say very clearly that our mission as followers of Jesus Christ is from that position we just talked about, not to shame sinners with the use of God's good law, for we were also once sinners. And so, so now that we have been justified, we don't look down on those who are still in sin and say, oh man, I can't believe you're doing this in your life. And I can't believe that. Like my neighbor, you should see what they did or you should see the lifestyle they live. Or I walked into that coffee shop and you see the way that man was dressed like a woman or like, and, and we look down on people for where they are. That's not where we stand as followers of Jesus Christ. Our mission is to lovingly help people see their need for Jesus, to point them to the one who, through his life, death, and resurrection, paid the penalty for their sin and now offers them new life and eternal life with Christ Jesus. The proper heart of a Christian towards a non-Christian should be primarily compassion and not disgust. We can all identify with those who are far from Christ because we were all there. And we weren't saved because of our goodness. We were saved by a perfect Savior, purely by his grace and mercy. And so the heartbeat of the gospel, and ultimately this is the, the fruit of sound doctrine, because when we understand what we believe appropriately, we will become more like Jesus, the one who came to seek and save the lost. And so I have just a simple question as we wrap up that section of the scripture does, I want you to ask yourself this, does what I believe align with the life that I live? Does what I believe align with the life that I live? I want you to wrestle with that. Like examine your life against the things that you believe. Now, you will find quickly, no, the answer will be no. <laughs> like, ooh, no, not at all. Like not, not, not there. But the beauty of relationship with Jesus Christ is that he is making us more and more and more like him. And so when you find, here's just for you this week, when you find, here's what I believe, my life is not aligning with that, all you have to do is this, Lord, would you help me? Like you just bring that to him, like help me in this. God, I'm seeing that I'm not living in the way that I know that I believe, would you help me with that? My doctrine is this, my behaviors are this, help align those things, I need your help. And he is there over a very long period of time to walk that journey with you. So, back to our big idea, how we develop and protect doctrine is essential for the health of the church. But this passage should create in us this sense of urgency, this attentiveness for us as we consider what we believe and who we allow to influence our beliefs. So what do we do with that? And I just wanna offer like three quick uh, things that are kind of like a little uh, math puzzle we can put together here, a little math equation. The, the first thing I, I want us to do is examine who and what you are consuming. Examine who and what you are consuming. What does your content diet consist of? Like what's the, what's the, um, the, the, your, your nourishment for sound doctrine? Like who is it that you're allowing in? And listen, 
I just like before you hear me saying like get rid of everything that's not Christian, turn off your TVs. Like, there is a realm in which we are in the world, but not of it, right? I'm, I want the spirit to guide you in that. Don't hear me saying like, only listen to Christian music, only read Christian books or whatever, whatever else is labeled Christian. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying before God himself, examine what, what am I consuming? Who and what am I consuming? What's coming in my mind? Number two, grow in your knowledge of the Bible. That sounds really simple. It's very hard. It takes a very long time, okay? So, uh, but like we've been saying the last couple of weeks, uh, it's, it's a worthy work. It's worthy. It, it is, that is hard work. It is worth it. And, and so this morning, you might not know much about the Bible. You might feel like, man, I just don't even know. I don't even know where to start. And I get that. All right? I, I understand that. And all I want to say to you is just take a little tiny baby step this week like a little tiny baby step. And I said this a few weeks ago, and I'll say it again. It is our greatest joy, one of our greatest joys, for you to come to us and say, will you help me learn how to know the Bible? Will you help me learn how to read the Bible? Like, that's like Christmas Day for, we, we would love that. And so if you're like, I don't know anything about the Bible, I'm starting from square one, square one, step one, whatever. Anyhow, help me. We're like, let's roll, let's go, we got you. All right, so come to us. Brian Chappell says this, our greatest need is to know God better and we can learn, learn more only from his word. And so as we are seeking to know God, we find him here. And then step three or number three, now that you've examined what you're consuming and now that you're growing in the knowledge of God's word, analyze if what you're consuming aligns with the teaching of the Bible. This is the work right here. This is actually the moment that's going to help us root out false doctrine. This is the moment for you when, when you're going to realize, hey, I heard this and that does not line up with what I'm reading in God's word. You know, they always say the best way to spot, spot a counterfeit is by knowing what the real thing looks like. Well, immerse yourself in God's word so that you can know if what you're consuming is not in alignment with that. And so church, I just want to like Old Town Church, y'all listen to me. If we are to become the church that God is calling us to be, not just next month, I'm talking about gospel impact 10, 20, 100 years from now. It roots itself here. It doesn't root itself in elaborate programs or gummy bear challenges, though those are awesome. It roots itself in the people of Old Town Church devoting themselves to this over a very long period of time, doing the hard work, failing miserably half of the time, right? But getting back up and going and going and going so that as we know what God's word says, we protect sound doctrine as we live in a culture that does not know him. It's worthy work, church. Let me pray for you. Father, we come to you in great need. And we also acknowledge that in our great need, you came to us first. And so we praise you for that this morning. And Lord, I just pray that you would, by your spirit, guide us into what steps you want us to take. God, do a work in us as a faith family. It's in your great mighty name we pray. Amen.